Hi, welcome to Let's Evaluate It. In this podcast, you'll hear from students at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, who are taking a class all about public health programs and evaluation. Highlighting some of the biggest issues in public health today, we're going to bring in some of the coolest people we know to talk about some of the coolest things they know. 15 students, one pandemic, and six feet apart. We're ready to learn something new. We hope you are too. So let's evaluate it. Hello, everyone. Guess what? Failures are important, as according to ODI in 2015, specifically on slide six, particularly when it comes to evaluations. One can learn more from what does not work than what does work. Thus, it is important to treat failures as an opportunity for growth and change that could be more beneficial long term for the program. All right. So moving on to a podcast discussion, our group of Anurit, Prince and Ashley are here to talk with you all about COVID-19, specifically COVID-19 in the context of travel and tourism. To help us with this conversation, we are delighted to have one of our own on our podcast today from Purdue University, Dr. Jonathan Day. Dr. Day is the Director of Graduate Program and Associate Professor in Hospitality and Tourism Management. Dr. Day specializes in responsible travel, sustainable tourism, corporate social responsibility, social entrepreneurship, and destination branding. Additionally, Dr. Day presently works for Travel Care Code, which encourages traveling responsibly as the chair member. Currently, Dr. Day has been seen on the variety of platforms, providing advice on what tourism and hospitality industries need to do in COVID-19 and how travelers can prepare a vacation that is sustainable. Therefore, we will be asking Dr. Day questions that cover travel and tourism in the midst of COVID-19, along with what are the current and future policies and evaluations and current current related news on travel and tourism in COVID-19. Right, so Dr. Day, could you please discuss how traveling and tourism are looking right now in the U.S. and globally for patrons and employees? Absolutely. You know, so it would be really hard to um, understate how incredibly uh, devastating COVID has been to the travel and tourism industry. Um, I guess the first thing to remember with the travel and tourism industry is that it's huge. Um, it's huge and it's global and it has, it touches people's lives in so many different ways. So travel and tourism, if you think about it from a global perspective, um, normally, normally in a given year, more than a billion people travel internationally. And those billion people traveling internationally create jobs and opportunities for people in not only developed countries like the United States, but also in developing countries. And the, 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 the abrupt halt, the immediate stop that we had um, when COVID, uh, COVID-19 um, started has really thrown everyone for a loop in that. And, um, you know, to use some numbers from the United Nations World Tourism Organization, in May, there was a 98% drop in international tourism. 
So again, 98% drop in international tourism. Now, you know, that is just incredible, right? And so, um, and, and yet we know it. We have that experience, you know, in, in, um, April, every country in the world went in lockdown. People stopped traveling. And as a result of that, people who, um, were serving in the, in the tourism industry, 10% of the world's population, 10%. Of the world's population is involved somehow in tourism and hospitality, and all of those people were thrown for a loop. So yeah, it's it's been huge and continues to be huge um, here in the United States. Um, you know, in the last recession, um, hospitality jobs actually led the recession uh, recovery. Um, but this time, this time around, complete opposite. And so, um, you know, we, we are seeing, um, something like, uh, the, one of the numbers from one of the, the trade publications that we, we use, you know, something like 35% of people involved in hospitality and tourism are unemployed at the moment. Um, now some people are coming back, but that's again, huge. And, um, uh, and so, um, we're struggling as we deal with how do we keep people safe and how do we get back to business? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for that. It's, those numbers are pretty crazy, um, to think about, but it makes sense just because, I mean, that's how people do a lot of their businesses is traveling or, you know, to visit family and such. So I can definitely see it having a huge impact on um, globally, like you said. Uh, but in your opinion, which states, so locally within the U.S. Um, and countries um, that maybe you've heard of, um, are doing the best, maybe you would say, you know, amidst this crisis and maybe some of those that are struggling a little bit more and some of those reasons uh, why that may be the case. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think as we're deep into this this idea of, you know, we're all sort of social distancing and we're all sort of doing the best we can. We sort of forget that, you know, we can't travel to most places at this point. You know, there are advisories, you know, I was looking at the CDC and with the exception of New Zealand and Thailand, uh, every country in the world is on a um, level three um, uh, risk sort of thing, the highest of the levels. And so there are some countries that we can go to, but many we can't. You know, uh, the Australians and the New Zealanders, you can't go in. Um, you just can't. Um, and, you know, there are many places that are requiring 14-day quarantines. And, you know, for, for somebody like an American who is traveling for two weeks or three weeks for their vacation, a 14-day quarantine doesn't work. You know, because you spend the first two weeks of your vacation in in um, in quarantine. So, so international travel is down a lot here in the United States, and we'll focus mainly on the United States. I think, um, you know, here in the United States, we're starting to see some travel happen, and you know, the states that are doing the best. Um, I don't necessarily think it's because they've got the best programs. Um, I think it's because they're in places that at this point are really attractive to Americans. So, you know, so a lot of the Western states, um, 
you know, places like South Dakota and Montana. I almost went to Utah myself this year, you know, to, to visit the national parks out there. And, you know, the reason is that, you know, it's wide open spaces. Um, you know, some of these places, particularly if you're on the West Coast, you can drive to, um, don't have to get into a plane. And so national parks have done really well here in Indiana. Our state parks are doing really well because people want to go and visit and, um, get into the outdoors but those are the places for americans that seem to be doing well now the places that are doing poorly um you know places like new york city and um uh washington dc you know um um chicago Hmm. Boston, you know, these are cities that rely on, on visitors to come and, you know, with, with, so for instance, with New York, with Broadway shut down and so many, you know, and life so diff, uh, so restricted, it's just not an appealing destination for a lot of visitors. So that's what we're seeing in terms of how destinations are responding. I don't know if you saw the news the other day, but, um, we are in the middle of October and Hawaii just, uh, Welcome some of its first visitors um, from the mainland um, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and so you know you think about Hawaii and its reliance on tourism. Um, think about how difficult that has been yeah. for that destination. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, thank you. So, uh, based off of all of this, then, what are the most important things to do while traveling, in your opinion, to mitigate the risk of obtaining and also spreading COVID? Yeah, so the things that you do when you're traveling are pretty much the same things that you do when you're not, Um, you know. And um, what we're seeing is, um, you know, it's the basics. You know, wear a mask. Um, Don't uh, wash your hands regularly. Um, Try and stay away from places where you're crowded. Um, these are the basic sort of suggestions that people are coming up with for this sort of thing. Now, you know, some of the hospitality companies are, are approaching this in different ways, but, you know, at the end of the day, the things that you're doing while you're traveling are the things that you're being recommended to do while you're at home as well. And I think that that is one of the reasons, you know, across the industry, what we've seen, you know, people want to be able to take control of their environment. And, you know, we've seen... Uh, home sharing like Airbnb, um, do really well uh, after, after a shock at the beginning. Airbnb is doing pretty well, um, this year. Uh, RVs where I can control my environment and go visit, you know, are having a great year this year. Drive travel, you know, I'm in my, in my space in my car and uh, I can control that and monitor it myself. I'm not relying on anyone else. That's appealing this year as well. So those are the sorts of things that, you know, the things aren't that different. What, what the companies are doing, we can talk about in a sec, but, you know, in terms of what you should do as a traveler, you know, it's the same basics. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, some areas or some parts of hospitality and tourism are obviously being impacted greatly in a negative way, but some are, but have also flourished due to like the, like you said, the appeal of having an RV 
um, or driving somewhere yourself or going to national parks where you don't have to necessarily be around a lot of people, but you can yeah. still be outdoors and not be as susceptible. So it's interesting to see um, the transition. And I think a lot of the common things that we can do now are a lot of things that maybe we should have been doing uh, maybe prior uh, to travel. Uh, and I think I kind of noticed that too, just being around campus, a lot of these things that we've implemented maybe could have been implemented prior, but, um, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, every September, I I don't know about you, but every September, you know, my class is, uh, uh, full of kids who have got, you know, coughs and flus and and stuff like that. And of course, you know, the consequences of that aren't as negative as they could be, but, uh, as they are with COVID, but, you know, we all know every, every fall, there's always something going around campus. And so you're absolutely right. You know, a little bit more empathy for other people, a little bit more uh, consideration of other people. And perhaps that's part of the change that we're starting to see happen. Um, of course, there are a lot of people who are pushing back on that. And so there's this balance between those two things as well. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, what are some common misconceptions you believe individuals have when it comes to mitigating the spread of COVID-19, uh, but specifically while traveling? Or if there are any that you can think of that people are pushing or saying that isn't the case, yeah. but in fact are important to be aware of. Sure. So I think, you know, so I think the answer to that question is, um, is really at the end of the day, people are still concerned for their own health. So, the, you know, people are, people are stuck between two things that are, you know, a conflict in their, in their experience, right? And I'm, I'm, I know I'm going through this myself, right? One is that I want to keep safe. And two is that I want to travel. We know from surveys that are being conducted at the moment, that people are desperate to get back out again, right? Um, I'm sure that, you know, anyone who's listening to this right at this moment is sort of feeling like they've been stuck in the house forever and need to get, get out again. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's so hard to, to not go out to visit with friends and family, even though we know that we could. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, what are the, you know, one of the misconceptions, I think um, one is, you know, being aware of what's safe and what's not safe and then being able to really manage and understand the risks that you're taking. I think that is one of the challenges um, to sort of turn it around and look at the programs that hotel companies, or airline companies are doing and their effectiveness in convincing us that um, I think, you know, what we could do is we could sort of say, you know, the task of hotels, and I was talking to some folks in Las Vegas about this, you know, what can a hotel do to encourage you to go to Las Vegas? Right? It's a really interesting question. You know, I mean, I'm not a gambler or anything, but, you know, what would they have to do? And I think that there's really two things. One is they need to do all the right things. They need to make sure that it's clear and, you know, safe for me to go. And they need to be putting these protocols in place so that I know it's safe for me to go and have fun. 
And then the other thing that they need to be doing is they need to be able to communicate that to me in an effective way. So, you know, doing one without the other um, doesn't really work. If they do, if they tell me they're doing stuff and they're not doing it, then I will, you know, ultimately we'll figure that out. Um, so that they need to be actually doing the work and then they need to make sure that I get all of that because what, what I'm really looking for as a consumer is permission to have some fun. And I can only have permission if those hospitality companies are creating a safe environment for me. And, and I think, you know, we talked a little bit, um, you know, how do we evaluate whether companies are doing well or not? Yeah. And um, I, I know that that's something, you know, one of the ways that I would sort of think about that in a macro level is how people are returning to travel. So airlines are really still struggling. Um, no matter, you know, they have got protocols in place and they're trying to communicate it, but I, I still find it really difficult as a consumer to believe that sitting beside somebody, particularly if there's no space between us, um, for, you know, four hours or six hours or whatever, that that can be safe. I, I just think that they haven't convinced us enough of that. And so airline traffic is down. It's still down a very long way. You know, we just had, to give you an example of that, um, this week, we just had the first day since April when we had a million people cross through um, uh, cross through TSA checkpoints, right? So you go through the checkpoint, you get onto a plane, mm-hmm. a million people. That is still only 40% of what we had last year at that mm-hmm. time. Right, so air travel is still way, way down, and, and I don't think that we're we're convinced that that's happening. Um, for the main part, uh, the hotels seem to be doing better at that, communicating how they're they're doing things, and perhaps that's because you know the space is different or whatever. But I think the hotel companies are starting to get uh, uh, have been able to deliver the message to people that they're working hard on keeping them safe. And again, like I said, giving people permission to have some fun because the environment that they're in is safe. Yeah, no, that's a very great point to make. I think the whole, like, um, especially since my background, I mean, not only am I in public health, but I come from a communication perspective. So I'm Mm -hmm. all about making sure you communicate effectively um, the information or what you're wanting people to do. Um, so I think that's definitely important, you know, emphasizing the communication aspect. I think it's always making sure it's clear uh, for a variety of different um, populations, I think is really important. So uh, hospitality, you know, a lot of hotel companies look a lot like campus at the moment. Mm-hmm. There are signs everywhere. There are people visibly cleaning things. Um, you know, in some ways, campus has done a really good job of of showing, you know, if communication is about, you know, I can say whatever I like, but unless I, and somebody sees me doing it, then, you know, that, um, you know, you'll take what I say with a grain of salt. But if you see me doing it, then you'll um, have greater confidence in it. And I think the hotel companies are doing that, just like campus, I think, is doing that to a pretty fair degree. 
Right. Yeah. So kind of along with that, then, uh, what do you think are current constraints maybe with some of uh, tourism industries not doing it maybe as well um, or implementing maybe different forms of evaluations as well, um, maybe due to budget or time or even political um, um, aspects of constraints that could be impacting? The virus is the constraint. You know, we, we know what we can do. Um, to mitigate it. And, you know, we know what we can do when we travel to mitigate it. Um, but uh, until people are confident that either the vaccine has come uh, or that we're through, you know, we're through this, you know, this pandemic process. I'll give you an example. You know, it's like, um, you know, we're heading now into, depending on how you, you measure it, either the second or third wave. And um, as we go into that period, we're going to see political decisions being made, you know, um, uh, cities closing down or enforcing reduced uh, hours. And the first place that that's going to come is in our hospitality and tourism industry, right, particularly hospitality where, you know, uh, restaurants – have been sort of scraping by on on having outside seating and so forth. And now as people come in and it gets colder, um, you know, you're going to see constraints on that because of increasing number of uh, cases. So, you know, in some ways that is what is going to drive this whole uh, puppy. Um, <laughs> it's going to drive this whole thing uh, as we go through. So, um, you know, the... The hospitality industry has really sort of identified what they can do. Um, and I think, you know, I think for the most part, many of the major brands are doing what they can do. Um, but I think that there are these sort of external factors, you know, whether it's the, the virus itself or whether it's the, the public health issues, the policy issues that need to be implement, implemented that is really going to remain being the, the, the thing that hospitality industry is responsive to. That they're really, we're really not in a position at this point to be, um, proactive in that other than improving our, um, our, our protocols to reduce things. So yeah, I, this is this is a trip we've got to you know like we're we're gonna have to ride this this one out. Yeah, I agree. So in terms, so you touched upon a little bit in terms of like the designs, and I know that you said um, it may not be something that's um, completely like able to be worked on right now due to the situations that are happening. So. Um, uh, and we kind of briefly talked about the communication process, um, but more so than to if and when um, industry companies are implementing a communicate or like an evaluation, trying to assess if what's happening is working well. Um, how do you think that communication process would look like and maybe what would future program evaluations look like uh, within tourism and hospitality? So, you know, um, so at the macro level, um, uh, 
the measure is going to be do people come back to hotels and attractions, right? So Disney's doing a great job at getting some people back, but with limited amounts. And and so it comes back to, you know, is that tourism industry, you know, is that tourism uh, entity creating a safe space for me to, um, a safe space for me to have fun? Um, and I think it really all comes back down to that. Um, individual properties are going to, um, are going to need to uh, measure their effectiveness. And I think that there are probably two levels of effectiveness. Like I said, I'm not an operations person, but for me, the two things that I would want to know is one, you know, um, you know, are we doing the best that we possibly can? And, and it's been interesting. There have been, you know, the, one of the, one of the boom markets at the moment is, uh, certifications for, um, hospitality, cleanliness and stuff like that. And so you're seeing certifications because people really want to have even a third party sort of saying, okay, this, um, what they're doing is best practice. And I don't have to just believe what they say, but I'm doing it. So certifications have become a big thing. But, you know, there's really two things. One is, am I doing the best that I can and evaluating against that? And then secondly, do people understand that I'm doing the best that I can? Um and, uh, you know, consumer awareness of these activities, um, so much of the stuff that happens in a, in a hotel or a restaurant or anywhere else is invisible to people, right? We take a couple of cues from things, you know, um, but a lot of it's invisible. You know, it's the stuff that happens behind, you know, in the kitchen or behind the scenes at the hotel. Invisible, and you know, so you know, I have to. Um, uh, so, what the consumer sees um, might not be the um, not might not recognize all of the great things that the hotel is doing, and so you know, it comes back as you were saying, this communication things. Do they know what I'm doing? Behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, you know, uh, and on the stage, you know, do they understand that and do they give me credit for that when I'm traveling? I'll give you an example. You know, uh, I spend most of my time in sustainability and, um, you know, you go to a hotel and most of the things that happen for, say, for instance, energy efficiency mm-hmm. are completely invisible to you. And the only thing that you see is the linen thing when you go into the bathroom. Right. You know, you can do the towel or not do the towel. Right. Right. Um, You take from that, you know, all of the information you have on the sustainability program of the hotel is based on whether they have that linen program or not. That really doesn't tell you very much about what that hotel is doing. And, you know, so it's up to the hotel to to find ways to tell you the same is true for the COVID. Right. There's one or two things that you'll see. There's a lot that you're not seeing. And so they have to be good at communicating what you're not seeing. They also have to do it. Um, and so, you know, those are the two parts of the evaluation that I'd be looking at. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. And we're going to move on now to the last set of questions and Prince will take it over. All right. Thank you, Ashley. And also thank you so much, Dr. Day for a wonderful discussion. I'm really enjoying myself here. And I hope that listeners to are also enjoying our, 
um, themselves there also. And now that you have also talked a little uh, much about um, maybe programs and how we evaluate programs and that are more of a specific um, areas that you have also touched on. I want us to move on to maybe the broader theme, that is the policy at the policy level. So what um, policies are currently in place to help the travel and tourism industry during a pandemic? Are there any policies in place? So there are, there have been some. Right. The, um, the tourism industry, the hospitality industry benefited from some of the early stuff. You know, if you, if you remember back, and I know it's really hard to remember back to the, the middle of March. It seems like bloody forever ago. Um, but you know, the first people, you know, sort of the, the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, was the hospitality industry. People stopped going to restaurants and, and stuff like that. You know, many restaurants were closed down immediately. And so, you know, some of the initial stimulus package um, was really around helping um, those workers from that industry, um, from our industry, and go from there. There's also been some support of the airline industry um, uh, over over time, and they are soon running out of money because they're burning through money um, like nobody's business. But um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people who believe that they that the hospitality industry hasn't received the support that it needs um, from a policy point of view, from a government point of view, and that the you know because there are uh, many many people in our industry who are um, often uh, often not very well paid, often, um, you know, in a precarious situation with their job situations, that some, some think more things should be done for them. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I started off this conversation saying how bad it was for the industry and, you know, it's going to take a long time for it to get back, and I think that that's going to cause many uh, difficulties for the people who work in our industry as we come as we come forward. Um, so, you know, those are the sorts of things that are in place. Um, I have I'm not conscious of any specific policy decisions on on specific hotel requirements. Um, you know, in terms of making sure. Um, that, uh, you know, levels of, 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 uh, cleanliness and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, really, really at the moment, the, the industry is sort of being tossed and turned by these bigger issues that are out there, uh, at the moment. All right. Thank you, Dr. B. And that's really interesting that, um, for example, when you look at it, the, uh, example, when you look at it, the, um, there are not policies that are really um, benefiting um, the, those in the industry players in terms of em- em- employment, in terms of income and everything. So what would you, um, what policy do you believe need to be implemented in your opinion, since you don't have such policy that would help employees in terms of income and everything? So what policy do you think should be in place to also maybe help those in the industry players like the employees and those, what policy specifically would you think would be best to be implemented? Well, I gotta admit, I, 
That's a great question, right? A really great question. Um, so let me just off the top of my head without much thought prior. Um, many restaurants are small businesses. Um, many, you know, many, you know, so we'll start, we'll start with restaurants first. Um, I think, you know, support for small businesses over the pandemic, you know, particularly businesses that have to close because of government policy. So, you know, um, a bar, for instance, that is being told by the government to close, um, has no choice in that, you know, really should get some support to achieve that public policy goal. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that, you know, support for small businesses. I think that making sure that we have, um, uh, fiscal support for, um, those most affected by the, the downturn in jobs. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone got money. Um, perhaps we can be a little bit more focused on some of that, but certainly hospitality industry people should be, um, uh, should be recipients of that, you know, just because of the, the, again, nothing that they have, nothing in their control, um, has caused the situation that they are in. They are, have, you know, they are the victims of this pandemic as well as people who get the disease. And so I think pub- public policy should recognize that as well. Um, I think that, uh, um, as we move forward, there are going to be, because of the decisions that we're making about supporting states and, and, um, local businesses, uh, sorry, states and local governments, and in fact, the decisions that we're making not to support them, um, and, and at this point, um, then we really need to be thinking about um, uh, the consequences of that and how we can uh, recognize state and local needs uh, and services that they need to support versus the, the sort of support that we give to tourism from those organizations. And I, I'm not trying to be obtuse here. Let me be specific. So um, so hospitality and tourism companies generate a lot of tax. In fact, um, you know, the U.S. Travel Organization, the U.S. Travel Association estimates that in um, – between April and uh, April, May, uh, state, federal, and local tax was reduced by $53 billion, right? Now, you know, if you think about that, that's, you know, people who aren't paying bed tax in a hotel, right, that extra fee that you get when you go there. It's people who are not going through um, airports who pay a tax there. It's people who are not paying the sales tax on restaurant food, right? So all of those are the taxes. And combine them up, that's $53 billion that states and 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 local areas aren't going to get that would normally come to them. Now, part of what the federal government can do is that they can support those state and local uh, organizations. 
some of the money that goes from that from that that pot that I just talked to you about uh, goes into promoting tourism again. And so as we get in, go through this recession and those states and local authorities, they're going to need money to keep teachers employed, to keep health professionals employed. Um, and yet if they don't continue to promote in the tourism, they're not going to get those extra revenues. So there's this balancing happening. And I think from a public policy point of view, you know, the federal government really should look at, again, you know, these states who have uh, a requirement to have a balanced budget and who have had their revenues from tourism, but then from many other things as well, reduced, um, probably need some support in the next 12 months, 12, 18 months, two years. And so... You know, those are the big, you know, so support for the workers, so support, support for small businesses, and then support for the states. Um, those are the sorts of things that I think would be most help from, helpful from a policy point of view. Right. Thank you, Dr. Day. Well, as we are approaching the end of our time, Dr. Day, is there anything else would you, you would like to add on this topic? Um, you know, thank you so much for uh, giving me a chance to have a talk about all of this. Um, you know, I think the only thing that I would add, and one of the things that I'm most heartened about with tourism um, during this COVID time is that there are a lot of people are talking about how do we do tourism better when we come back. You know, 12 months ago when I started um, classes, I would be talking about things like over-tourism, where there's too many people in one place. That's not a problem anymore, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, there are, there are many people who are saying, okay, we want tourism to contribute to our community in positive ways. Um, and what do we need to be doing to be better at that? And so, you know, if I listen to Arnie Sorensen, who is the head of Marriott Corporation, he tells me I've got, you know, two years or so before, two to three years before the tourism economy gets back to what it was before the pandemic. And I sort of look at that two or three years and go, you know, we've really got to use that time to to fix some of the problems that we know were were out there with tourism and to make sure that it is really addressing some of the social needs that we have as well as the economic, uh, some of the environmental needs that we, we have. So social and environmental needs as well as, you know, creating, you know, money and jobs and that sort of thing. Right. We would like to take this moment to say thank you to Dr. Day for sharing information and some amazing facts. Thank you, Dr. Day, for making time in your busy schedule to meet us and talk with us today. Also, thank you for all that you are doing during these challenging times. And thank you all for listening to us. And please, stay safe. Hello. Now we're going to move on to the next portion of our podcast, which consists of the segment of related news. Um, With this segment, we wanted to first interview our interviewee, which happened to be Dr. Day. And we wanted to see kind of some of the information he presented us 
and what stuck out to us in terms of current related news and then further investigated. Thus, the topic that stood out to both of, to all three of us, uh, was in terms of Hawaii and how being a state that relies heavily on hospitality and tourism, how they were making adjustment and changes, um, currently. Uh, therefore, we further investigated it and found two um, sites that provided some good information in terms of evaluation regarding policies and how they're going to assess their effectiveness uh, in terms of this transition. So I'll hand over the mic to Anu uh, as she discusses what she found. Absolutely. Uh, we've been reading that uh, the currently the two of the counties in Hawaii the Kauai and the uh, Mao counties, they have bypassed the mandatory 14-day, mandatory 14, they have bypassed the mandatory 14-day quarantine. If the travelers, they can take the FDA-authorized test from the certified labs. Uh, so the test must be taken no earlier than 72 hours prior to departure and the travelers must receive a negative result to bypass the quarantine requirement. And the travelers are, uh, it's a mandatory for travelers to register and upload their test result to this safe travel Hawaii account. And intra-county travelers must have the test result with them upon arrival so airport screeners can review the result. So I think that's a really uh, good step that the Hawaii counties are taking. They are allowing they are allowing uh, tourists to come to Hawaii for with the with the appropriate and certified tests. All right, so Prince. I thank you, Anu, and that was um, also amazing. And I also find some interesting um, news. And that was a press release where Hawaii tourism authorities they seek to um, they want to seek the community input to one of its um, plans that is called the Destination Management um, Action Plans. And they were um, looking at four counties that they want their input in that destination plans and the rule they can also um, play in that um, plan that the tourism industry has. So the goal of the plan is to create four individual action plans specifically um, to those four counties that will provide an appropriate balance between the economic benefits of tourism and impact on local services, natural and cultural resources and residents' quality life, so that those who come would also have a quality life, like if you are um, an, um, a visitor who are also visiting those counties, you have that um, proper quality life. And then the purpose is to build, rebuild, redefine, and reset tourism direction over a three-year period through a collaborative process. The focus will be on the mindful tourism recovery, followed by a long-term desired tourism for each island. So this is um, the action plan that they are also seeking the communities, these um, four communities that we call it the counties, their contributions so that they can take every bodies uh, maybe needs, specific needs, so that you don't come with a holistic approach where, for example, it may be effective for one community or maybe one county, but may not necessarily work for the other county. So that is why they have this policy to allow them to come together and then talk about how the destination, that the plan, so that we have unique um, needs of each um, 
um, county that would also be factored in the overall plan so that everybody's needs are met. And I think that it's really a good thing for a community where they are also looking at the cultural differences. For example, one county in terms of demographic may be different from another county. So if you are allowing them the opportunity to come with their own needs and their own cultural needs, I think that would be a very effective way to also implementing um, those um, policies in terms of um, the COVID that we are situation that we are or the new normal that COVID has brought to us that we are still in the flats where we are struggling to deal with that. And I think that is an awesome approach that the tourism um, industry has also taken and then we give them the kudos. Like, yeah. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Um, and that concludes our segment on related news.